I think the best boobs of the eighties were. Whoa, is there a movie where Wilfred Brimley takes off his shirt? Oh crap, Mischief. Mischief was I mean Kelly Mischief. Kelly Preston. Uh and that was full frontal. What was but who okay, give me the plot of Mischief. I don't remember it very well. I mean, it was just like it took obviously came out in 85, but it was a throwback to the 50s. Holy crap. <laughs> uh you know, it was sort of like taking the like innocence of that uh, era in the 50s and trying to sex it up. It was like a sex comedy that took place in the 50s. Oh, like uh, well, Animal House? Yeah, yeah, a little bit like that, kind of. I mean, it was more of like a coming-of-age thing, like a guy, you know, finally uh, decides he wants to lose his virginity to this one woman in particular, played yeah. by Kelly Preston, um, and just sort of stalks her relentlessly. Oh, good. And, under, understandably so. There's a lot oh, of those weird, weird '80s movies where it's like last, you know, the Last American Virgin, and like, oh, this is kind of creepy. It's like you look back oh, in retrospect. There, it's really hard. I think that's honestly the most remarkable thing about Judd Apatow is he's the only person I think who has made like a sex comedy that isn't just a nightmare of rape culture. <laughs> where like, like the other day uh, on Netflix, I watched Screwballs. You ever see that one? No, I don't think that so. is one of. That that is basically just uh, a it's you know like when we were talking about Russ Meyer we we're talking about like how uh, those how those a lot of those early movies felt like Playboy comics come to life. Mm-hmm. That is totally what Screwballs is, except maybe Screwballs feels more like a Tijuana Bible because it takes place in the fifties and it's all so it almost feels like uh, like Archie <laughs> like Archie <laughs> comics, except there's constantly tits everywhere. But it is just. Like God, like the the amount of sexual assault uh, played as comedy in the eighties was pretty crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, there's the famous scene in Revenge of the Nerds. Yeah, that's true. There's like these a slew of these movies. Uh, you know, Private School, Hot Resort, Hamburger, the Motion Picture, and Hot Dog the Movie. Like just the most misogynistic, uh, you know, kind of pandering sex comedies to ever have come out in that time. And those movies just kind of drove me nuts. I think, God, I think I remember seeing um, Meatballs 3 with Patrick Dempsey. And it was just like, oh my God, a, a nerd the- gets laid at, uh, you know, at a summer camp, I think. That's all it is. Is that the one with the alien? Uh, I don't remember an alien. Was there an I, alien? I think, there's a meat- I think there's a Meatballs movie that has an alien come down. And it's a hot and woman? It's like te- I think it takes maybe it could take the shape of a hot woman. It could That's be like weird. Critters Two. It could be like Critters Two, where there's that scene where the boobs sort of inflate, oh. and then you get a little bit of you get a little PG thirteen nudity. That was the that was the gold standard, and that's honestly that's all I had. That's all I had because hmm. you grew up in the eighties, so you had tons of eighties boobs, 
Like the nineties, the nineties uh, nudity sort of it came back around, and people were like, "Oh, maybe not uh, every movie should have a s- sex object." Yeah, you know. Oh no, it's not a it's not an alien. She's a dead porno movie star that returns from the beyond to help Patrick Dempsey get laid. That's there's a that's that's Meatballs three. There's a sex worker ghost yep. played by Sally like, Kellerman oh. from Back to School. I don't I don't remember that. I, I remember two parts of Back to School. I remember Robert Downey Jr. looking particularly Robert Smith, and I remember <laughs> the triple Lindy and Sam Kinison as uh, oh and uh, oh, that's that right. was great. I love that scene. That's right. I'm yeah. I'm a I'm a, I'm a fan of Sam Kin- Sam Kinison's, but yeah. he never really did have too many movie roles. No, he did not. Unfortunately, he should have. My two, my two, and appropriately enough, my two VHS tapes. <laughs> these are movies that my older sister owned. Are you having fun over there, Jim? I'm scared. What is yeah. he building in there? I feel like it's the Clopex, and uh, they're in the basement right now doing something, and I don't know what. Like I was told that oh, you're gonna we're probably just gonna come up and uh, you know uh, work on your window real quick in the uh, living room, which is like oh that's fine, but I guess they're doing something more intensive on another part of the building. So my two nineties, my two ninety, my two nineties movies uh, that I had on VHS via my older sister she left when she went away to college were uh mall rats uh really which had joey lauren adams and yeah yeah because that joey lauren adams topless for no reason completely gratuitous and horrible yeah um, the studio made him dumb. shoot and, that scene yeah oh is that boobs. true yeah that's what kevin smith said that makes me feel better that's true. Kevin Smith movies, they're very raunchy, but they tend not to have too much uh, female nudity in them. Mm-hmm. Um, unless it's his wife flashing a see-through bra, like in Clerks 2. <laughs> that was weird. Yeah, it was. Um, yeah, I'll give that to Kevin Smith. Uh, he's, he's not a total... <laughs> in that way, he's not a total stereotype of an angry, pervy, nerd-id. Um, you know. No, I don't get that impression from him. He's actually very well, respectful I get that. of women, I think. For what I hear, anyway. I I get that impression of him in every other way except for that. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I thought he's he's an angry, raging nerd id who has for some reason been given access to to, to Hollywood. Um, yeah, and apparently has got lots of projects lined up. A killer walrus oh, yeah, movie yeah, and you, the Christmas. Did you hear about that Krampus? Yeah. Wait, there was that's... a killer walrus movie. Yeah, it's coming out later this year called Tusk. He's doing another horror movie. It's kind of like a found footage thing. I guess like after hearing that Bobcat Goldthwait put out a uh, Bigfoot found footage movie, he's like, oh, I got an idea. A killer walrus. What? what? I, kind of, uh, I kind of like this period of Kevin Smith's career, to be honest. Yeah. I think... I, I was thinking, this is kind of the right place for him. Because I heard about that. He was going to do a, a horror anthology movie about mm-hmm. Krampus. And it and it was, and was he was going to direct one of the segments. And basically it was going to be him and all his buddies from his podcasting network. Yeah. Um, directing all different segments. Like, like, that's sort of where he should have been from the beginning. Like, he, like, Clerks feels like 
like part of the charm of Clerks, the the, the charm it had. I, I watched Clerks uh, earlier this year, and in, in part of the charm is of it is how amateurish everything is, from the writing to the acting to the mm-hmm. direction to everything. Um, which is honestly part of the problem when you watch his later movies, and it ha- they have like real crews and they have you know Hollywood budgets and everything. They're they're never huge budget movies, but um, there's. Those parts are so professional that it doesn't really mesh well with the amateurish mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Whereas there's something charming about Clerks, knowing that like just everyone there is just a friend of him or his, or um, it feels more like trauma, like a, one of those like tr- low budget trauma movies. Yeah, than I, I'm totally fine with him going down that route because like all he really does is smoke pot and talk on his podcast. And he brainstorms and comes up with these weird ideas. And if he can just get, like, you know, a a cheap camera and all his friends together to make something like a killer walrus movie, you know, I'm, I'm fine with that. I, I don't, I just don't think he should get on his high horse and, you know, uh, do something like Red State or, uh, aspire too much. Because I think, I think he's, I think his sense of humor is usually in the right place unless you have like a shit monster for no reason. But, uh, you know, uh, yeah, I, I, I think he's a great conversationalist and I, I'm always happy to like indulge, uh, some of his podcasts and stuff. And I think if he just takes that spirit and throws it into his movies and just, you know, says, ah, fuck it, I'm going to make a walrus movie. And then this horror, uh, trilogy, then yeah, I'm 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 curious to see where that goes. Yeah, it's 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 an odd thing to think that Kevin Smith is a is a veteran of, <laughs> at this point. <laughs> yeah, it's only because he's clearly learned so little about filmmaking. Well, it's weird that like you know going back and rewatching something like Jane Silent Bob or Clerks Two. And I, when I first saw them, I I gave them a big pass. I, like, I, I they were really funny. I was big on Clerks too. I thought that movie was hysterical. Yeah, and I rewatch them like you know five six years later, and I kind of go, really? Why do I like this so much? It's actually not very well made. No, it's not well written. It's not well. <laughs> yeah. It's not well performed. It's I. Uh, there is something about the original Clerks. That yeah. There's guys like you and me, uh, you know what I'm talking about, <laughs> guys who are eternally working. I mean, you are getting, you know, you're you're moving on up to the big leagues. You're getting all kinds of college degrees and stuff. Yep. Hold on one second, Patrick. Let sure. me just acknowledge my landlord. Hey, hey, hey. Hello. Oh, that's cool. I'm talking to my friend uh, via Skype right now. Which one? I think it was this one. Yeah. Well, that was your apartment for South Window, but I can't remember if it was a dining room or the living room. I think it was the living room. Okay. 
sorry about that. Can I tell you honestly <laughs> what uh, my imagination just conjured during what? all that? Because I, I heard we were talking about found footage horror. <laughs> and I was hearing that conversation. Um, and the next thing, like, my... I was think like just I thought oh what if someone just came in and shot Jim and all the people he's talking to? Um, it, sounded, it sounded like there were like three people. There, there were yeah, like there you are... and two other people. Mm-hmm. Yes. And yeah, and it sounded like if someone just came and shot, and while it was recording, and then would I have to take this? Would it, would I take this, this recording to? Oh no, my recording probably wouldn't even pick it up, but I, I would take it. To the police, and I'd have to enhance it to become a whole blow blow up blowout thing. I I demand that, and I demand that somebody <laughs> films it and turns it into a documentary. That what would do be you amazing. Demand, what do you demand that you get murdered? <laughs> no, and no, then not... I go, and then I obsess over <laughs> your killer. I you know what I honestly thought? Here's what I thought: you you get murdered. I'm going to release a podcast that's five minutes long that says Jim has been murdered. We're all reeling from this tragedy. Jim was a great person. Go in, I go into all the reasons you're great. And I say I'm uncertain about the future of the podcast. And this is literally where my brain was going. I thought, eh, I bet it could come back like three weeks later. And we could, me and me and Nat could do the Preminger episode. <laughs> yeah, of course. We could do it without Jim. You, yeah, you'd have to keep it going. That's It's in my will at this point. Patrick has to find another producer or co-host. Yeah, when you when you die. Yes. Man, listening to Louis C.K. trash all is lost was hilarious. When did that? You happen? know, because because he's you know he owns a boat and he knows all about boating and he just thought everything Robert Redford did in that movie was bullshit and he was just complaining about it the whole movie and nitpicking it to death. It was really really funny. When was this? Uh. I think I posted on my Facebook wall from Slash Film. Um, it was an interview he did, I think, with Opie and Anthony. Ah, uh, okay. Was, he was on Opie and Anthony. Yeah. Just within the past couple of days to promote his uh, debut film that just got released, I guess. Ah, that's through, exciting. Through his website, yeah. I, I, I want to see that, and I want to. I still have the Blu-ray of um, Craig Brewer's uh, debut film. Oh, that yeah, that, that Craig Brewer sent me, and he sent me a very nice note. And I still haven't watched that. I really should. We should get him on the podcast. I would love to talk to Craig. Craig Brewer is one of my favorite people. Yeah, it's absolutely. the only the only problem with 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 Craig Brewer is not a problem with Craig Brewer, but it's a problem with me, which is I'm about to move in um, with my partner. And they nice. they are not a fan of Craig Brewer at all. Wow! Because they saw Black Snake Moan and they thought it was a super racist, misogynist movie. Interesting. Yeah, I w- I tried to explain to the- I tried to explain to Regina. I was like, "Look, it's not a white woman. Like, it's it it it." <laughs> <laughs> Look, is this a movie about a black man chaining a white woman to a radiator in order to save her from her wicked nymphomania? Certainly. That's part of it. Yes. But is that what saves either character? I don't think so. I think Oh what, no. I think what no, saves no, no. what saves them is music and listening to each other. Yeah, compassion. 
Yeah. Yeah. You know, go, looking beyond their immediate needs and, you know, confiding in each other and realizing, oh, yeah, you know, we have this thing in common. We've, you know, gone through some shit and we can get through other things together. And that's kind of what I love about the final scene with uh, Justin Timberlake, who suffers from panic attacks and stuff. And Right. It, it, it becomes a really beautiful movie, I think. And, you know, the power of music, too, plays a big role in it. And I think that's a huge reason why I love Craig Brewer's movies. Well, for both of them, music is... That's what I like about that movie is... Well, I mean, all of, you're, you're absolutely right. All of Craig Brewer's movies. Um, well, maybe. I haven't seen that first one. Is that your phone? Mm-mm. Okay. I haven't seen that first... I, have, I still haven't watched that first movie again. But, like, in, in Black Snake Moan, that, <laughs> that scene where she's getting out all that sexual energy... Yeah. Um, you know, via the music, and he's getting out all that anger and aggression, and or that, you know, when he... I mean, there is something old-fashioned about Black Snake Moan. I'm not going to say it isn't, because it is a movie in which a character has... A, a female character has nymphomania, which in itself is, a, like, a, a, a weirdly old-fashioned... Like, it feels like something that would... Her be an exploitation her... movie from the seventies or something, or 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 a serious movie from the fifties. <laughs> I just watched. Uh, is that your phone? No. <laughs> is conspiracy. that an ice cream truck? I wish. Yeah, my my landlord brought ice cream. It's so nice. That's amazing. <laughs> no, no, no. But like, okay, so I just so, watched Anatomy of a Murder last night, and I that's never all, heard of it. That's all I can think about, and unfortunately, I don't want to talk about it on this bonus episode because we're going to be talking about it at least a little bit on the Preminger episode. Oh, we will. But I feel like basically the the character of Laura in Anatomy of Murder is about the same as Christina Ricci's character in Black Snake Moan, mm. where it's just like, eh, she's kind of a floozy, she's kind of a flirt, and it's it feels very old-fashioned. Yeah. I mean, obviously her character has more depth than that and her character has more depth than laura in anatomy of murder god i uh. hey jim you can't help yourself can you what jim can i ask you a question though <laughs> what uh this i'm i'm gonna subvert this energy into something else what what are your co-workers like um well currently i'm working at just at the church right and they are great i have um a 60 year old volunteer who basically comes in and works on the archives for the church and he knows everything about older movies so he's a blast to talk to really yeah i mean i can we talked about howard hawks and you know he he brought me this random walter Matthau movie called house calls that i never heard of he's got like a crazy collection he loves talking about movies really you yeah you work with a goddamn cinephile yeah a 60 year old no less is he the is he part of the church or is he um, well, yeah, I mean, he's, he's a member of the church and he just volunteers his time to come in and help out. And he's basically just doing all the archiving out of the goodness of his own heart, which is, you know, like, oh, I don't have nothing else to do. I love doing this and I do this stuff for fun at home. And, you know, I love movies and I'm happy to help put like all our VHS tapes onto DVD and all this and really, really cool guy. This guy sounds amazing. What 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 kind of movies does he see? Like classic films? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. For the most part, I mean, <laughs> we were. I told him about her, and then he's like, "Is that the movie with Scarlett Johansson?" <laughs> I went, "Yeah." It's like she's got an amazing, sultry voice. 
Like, yes, she does. And you're going to really like this movie if you like her voice. He's like, that's not all I like. <laughs> I see. About, yeah, he's, he's a charming guy. Like, I mean, and, and he's the type who, he's like a walking Wikipedia of random things. Yeah. Um, and I mean, so we've talked about different stuff. It's funny. Like he sent me an email, like at two in the morning once saying, I'm trying to think of this movie where Judd Nelson is going to jump out of a plane, but he can't find his parachute. And I'm like, Oh, that's Fandango from 1985. And then he was like, so grateful that I was able to tell him what it was. Like, I didn't have to Google that. I was like, yeah, I remember that movie. Yeah. What are you talking about? <laughs> he called you in the middle of the night. No, he emailed me. Uh, in the middle of the night. Yep. What is the movie where Judd Nelson jumps out of <laughs> a plane with a parachute? Without his parachute. Without his parachute? Yeah. Um, it's Fandango, directed by Kevin Reynolds. What are you talking about? That's not what I'm talking What it What? What? <laughs> I just thought it was amazing, like, you know, this guy who, you know, well, you asked me earlier, does he primarily only like older movies and stuff, and then I just thought of how he wanted to, he asked me about this random Judd Nelson movie from the 80s. Oh, my God. Yeah. So, you see, you have all the luck. That's the problem. You have all the luck. I've been wanting to talk about Anatomy of a Murder all day. Because it's just been percolating in my head. It's one of the weirdest, I most love it. confusing movie. I, I honestly, I honestly <coughs> wonder. And we're gonna. We. I can't wait for the auto premature episode because I want to talk to you about this. Because I, it feels like a Michael Haneke movie to me. <laughs> Do you, does that make sense to you? Um, yeah, a little bit. I mean, that, that's the thing about some of Prem... Well, I don't want to talk too much about Preminger. Right, just like, right, I'm exactly, just, right? Yeah. Like, but, a couple of his movies really went, oh, man, this is super subversive. This is bordering on The Servant, kind of like the feeling I got in terms of how I feel about it morally and but stuff. Even, but even more so because, you know, like, it's made in Hollywood. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. It's, it's crazy. Yeah, so... I, like, have this in my head, and I'm just going back and forth. I don't know how I feel. I mean, I feel that in either way, Anatomy of a Murder is a great, great film. But it is. I think it's it could be either one, and uh, it could be either one that is a brilliant, that's brilliant and subversive, or it could be one that's extremely offensive, <laughs> <laughs> depending on uh, how much you feel think Otto Preminger like what do you think Otto Preminger wants the audience to feel about the characters in any given moment yeah and it's very hard for me to make a firm decision either way um but which might be his intention I don't know if that's his intention Hmm. can we talk about anatomy for murder real quick yeah I bet you never wore panties yeah. I want to talk about something that I decided to do just kind of on a, as a lark. I'm not really like committing to it in a major way, but um, you know, on the Row 3 Cinecast, they're going back to the year 1984 and just watching like a beloved movie from that time uh, and reviewing it on the show, just like a retrospective review. And uh, that's kind of when they'd. Just, that's that's the year they cited that they fell in love with movies, 
And obviously, I was 1985. That's the year I fell in love with movies. And I thought, what if I just like went down a list of you know the majority of the movies that came out in 1985 and watched something that I've never seen before? Um, you know, as opposed to like, well, I'll watch The Goonies again and see if it holds up. That's not as much fun as trying to find something from that year that I've never seen that sounds interesting. Um, and you know, I, I it's funny that I never seen. Silverado, but that's not one I want to talk about for a long time. It's a it's a very simple, straightforward, goofy western with a great cast. You know, it's like it's almost like the Tombstone of the '80s, only <laughs> done by Lawrence Kasdan. Uh, so it's not the it's not a movie that has you know a lot to you know to digest in terms of it. Oh, it sounds fun. You know, good time. I what was, it. what was the Tombstone of the Ots? Uh, maybe the Three Ten to Yuma remake maybe uh, that's sad isn't it yeah i think so well, that's too bad hmm. yeah but but the movie that i i didn't really know anything about other than chris christopherson was the lead and i was like Ooh, that's gotta be cool um it's this movie called trouble in mind okay dir- directed by alan rudolph who i'm not too familiar with other than seeing his horrible Breakfast of Champions adaptation, which was really disappointing because I love that book. Uh, so this is a, this came out in '85, like I mentioned, and it's the, one of the most original things I've ever seen. Like, I mean, we we've seen so many movies; it's hard to find something that makes you go, "Wow, this is really unlike anything I've ever seen." Um, you know, I th- obviously I like the Robert Alton movies I caught up with and Killing of Chinese Bookie. Those are substantial in terms of being like, holy shit, this is brand new to me. This is like watching, you know, a different kind of movie in a whole new way, and that's exciting. And so after catching up with this, uh, it's de- this is definitely not as good as those other movies I mentioned, but it's a neo-noir that plays a little bit like satire, but stays true to some of those archetypes that you'd find in a noir movie. Satire of what? The genre? Yeah, but it's it's not like, you know, it's not like a Zucker Brothers or it, it, it's not anything like outlandish in terms of its comedy. Uh, but, I mean, it's tough because it plays in this weird vortex of the 80s and uh, noir films and, like, punk I mean, I don't, I don't know what it was. It was just something that it's indescribable. But as you're watching it, you're like, God, this is actually mind blowing with how original it is. I think he wanted to basically make a Casablanca set in the future, um, but he doesn't like specifically give it a date and time. Uh, the name of the town is called Rain City, although it never seems to rain there. <laughs> and it's it's like he wanted to build this world of subversion and i could see people like going man this is really obvious in some of the things that he's trying to do but he casts divine out of drag to play a mafioso character you know like there's this weird self-consciousness going on with watching this movie where every little thing you go like, oh i could recognize that from this movie but he's totally turning it on its ear um and there's like just this feeling of he wanted to emasculate the genre and take away like you know obviously by casting divine and having its male heroes sort sort of 
and not become the hero. Um, well, I mean, no, Noir is kind of famous for being more anti-hero in terms of the leads and right. what they go through and what they have to go through and their arcs. Um, but, I mean, it's just, it's weird. Like, the dialogue in this is amazing. Like, there's lines like, it's a good thing love is blind or else it would see too much. <laughs> you know, between the two of you, there is almost a whole person there. I mean, there's just like, there's some mammoth kind of lines that really threw me for a loop that I like found myself laughing and kind of shaking my head at times and wondering, okay, is this falling under like a Hudson Hawk kind of category? Because it's just so outlandish and strange and surreal that it's hard to take seriously or get really invested in. Um, but I, I think he, I think the filmmaker just did like this kind of ode to genre movies of the olden days and decided to like, well, let's have it take place in the future, but yet have like new wave and punk elements to it. Have divine as a gangster, you know, just like every every like few scenes, I'm like, what the fuck was that all about? But <laughs> I found myself laughing or enjoying it, or just kind of like uh, embracing his audacity for even putting something like this together. It was just a weird movie that I can't wait to watch again. I, it, then, it, it, this is just first uh, first uh, thought came to my head. Is this does the tone? Is the tone similar to something like like Streets of Fire? Like, yeah, a little bit, a little bit. I mean, it's such a like the energy is different in terms of it's not like super fast paced or anything, mm-hmm. um, you know. And it has uh, just like characters coming in and out and often sort of changing personas or something. But, I mean, there's there's something to grasp onto. I mean, Chris Christopherson gets out of prison. He wants to kind of redeem himself and uh, reacclimate himself into the world. And he winds up uh, meeting up with his ex-girlfriend and then uh, finding this uh, young mother whose husband is, like, turned into a you know criminal and he tries to save her from all that. Uh, and Joe Morton, of all people, uh, you know, the... Miles Dyson from uh, Terminator 2. He 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 plays a a drug a really really funny drug dealer in this. Um it just seems like everybody is very self-aware in this movie that they're kind of living in a movie world which can be kind of like off-putting for some people I think, but for me it was just like yeah, this is something that maybe uh you know, like you mentioned just the, where where it plays in this other universe that you don't know how to process it as you're watching it. And I think even something like like Hudson Hawk sort of plays with conventions and genres, and you don't necessarily know specifically its intent, but yet you have a good time watching it. I I don't think I've seen a single Alan Rudolph movie. Are you familiar with this director? Not really, no. Because uh, uh, Trouble in Mind is written and directed by him. Yeah. Um I don't know about his other where he, he he co-wrote The Moderns which he did Love at Large. I've never heard of any of these movies. Mortal I mean, Mortal Thoughts he did not write, but Eber gave this four stars and I, I it's it's definitely like he I think Eber was really a huge fan of just these sort of 
surreal takes on noir films or you well, know, the, like the other, dark dark city or something like that. That was the other movie I was thinking of when you were describing this was dark yeah. city. It is a little bit like that, only it, it it's super eighties and right. the hair is crazy and uh the soundtrack is interesting. Um it opens with a Marianne Faithful song. Uh and it's like I don't I just did not know at all what was going on throughout this movie at times, but I loved it so much because it was just one of those one of those moments where you're like, I love this movie just because I've never seen anything like it before. Yeah, well I mean that's a very valuable I mean that's that's one of the like on its own terms, Southland Tales is not a very good movie. Yeah. Like Southland Tales is not a it it like it's not like it doesn't have an interesting story. It's not a particularly good satire. It's but well, the one thing Southland Tales does have is consistently uh, when I when I watch it, it's surprising, <laughs> and it constantly yeah. like it constantly comes up with some new shit. That's like, wait, what? Wait, 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 what? Like, <laughs> why is Kevin Smith dressed like a techno wizard? Like, what is going on here? Why did Eli Roth just get blown away on the toilet? That was Eli Roth. God, Trouble in Mind could be the Southland Tales of the of the mid eighties. <laughs> That it really is, could. That is the that is that is the most uh, that's the best pull quote I think that movie could hope for. Yeah, I can't wait to watch it again just because like now I can sort of adjust like I know what I'm in for and maybe I could appreciate it on a, on a different level or pick up on other things throughout. Dur- I think that, that and that is the point I feel at I am, where I am right now as far as my journey as a cinephile or whatever is. I really, more than anything else, I love being surprised. Yeah. Like, I obviously, you know, like, um, gravity's a, gravity's always a good example of, because it's just, because it just, it's such a superlative effort, uh, on, on behalf of the, you know, the cinematography and the special effects and the writing and, and the editing and just, it's a really great story and it's a great script and it, and it just consistently is, you know, it's it's consistently wows you, and it's a amazing thrill ride. But it's also just like, but it is so um, simplistic that I it is the kind of experience that I, I find myself not valuing valuing as much as something like Skinning Grove. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I can see that. Or like when I was sitting watching Skinner Grove, like I was just acutely aware, like I've never seen anything like this. I was mm-hmm. just, I was blown and. <laughs> Which is crazy because uh, Skidding Grove is basically someone showing you their vacation photos. <laughs> like you have, yeah, seen but something photos like, that. like you've never seen before, and just right. like the way he tells stories behind each photo is so compelling. And the and but and and the non pretentious, yeah, very matter of fact way um, it builds, and so like yeah, like I always think about uh, I always that's why I've been watching a lot more short films and uh, experimental films. Um, because I just, I, I like being surprised more than anything. And that's, that's such a wonderful feeling when you have no idea what's going to happen next in a movie. Cause after you've seen a thousand, you know, and, and change movies, you begin to know where things go generally. For sure. I actually seen a couple of other Alan Rudolph movies. I've seen the secret lives of dentists and Mrs. Parker and the vicious circle. Mrs. Parker and the vicious circle is really good. It's about, uh, Dorothy Parker. Played by Jennifer Jason Lee. According to uh, IMDb, Alan Rudolph um, is still alive. 
Wow. <laughs> That's not... Uh, wow, he's still alive. No, but like, do you think we'd get him on the podcast? We sure, we sure could try. I'd love to talk to him about Trouble in Mind. Oh my god. Is he, is he done? I like on the message board that says, Is he done? Has Alan been working on any new projects lately? Oh man, no, Alan. I, I wonder if he... It's, what, it's been 10, 12 years since he's put out a movie. He he cut his teeth as a second assistant director and assistant director on some uh, Robert Altman movies. Oh, uh, I could see that a little influence. He was yeah. the assistant director on Nashville, and he was the second assistant director on The Long Goodbye in California nice. Split. Nice, nice, nice. Uh, let's see, the last thing he did was he produced uh, a short film called Hello. He was the executive producer. The Lionel Richie short film? Um, mm. No, the Eric Stoltz short film. Though, oh. if Lionel Richie had a music video in which he was crooning to Eric Stoltz, that would be the best of all worlds, all possible worlds. That would be the best possible outcome. I want to see Lionel Richie and Eric Stoltz make out. You know what I actually want to see? I want to see lost footage of Eric Stoltz and Lionel Richie making out because halfway through making out, Lionel Richie decided he wanted to make out with Michael J. Fox instead. Oh, that's what I want. That's what we all want. <laughs> to make out with Michael J. Fox or to make out with Eric Stoltz and then change your mind and then make out with Michael J. Fox. You would think Eric Stoltz would be on a Law and Order by now, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> But, okay, oh, but, but he's a working actor in L.A. Do you think there's ever been a time when, you know, he's not a megastar. He can't go, look, I was Mask. Because <laughs> <laughs> they're like, you don't look anything like Mask. No one would recognize him from that movie. But do That's you true. Think, but do you think there's a time he's been waiting in a restaurant um, and, and it's a 30, 45 minute wait or whatever. And then Michael J. Fox comes in and he gets a table immediately. Because he's out <laughs> peak eating. <laughs> oh my god, that I I can never get over like um, when I've heard recent interviews too, especially um, uh, Christopher Lloyd was talking on the Nerdist, and I I just had to listen to it, even though I'm not a fan of that podcast, because I'm like, oh, I'm sure he's going to talk about Back to the Future, and uh, you know, Christopher Lloyd was like, man. That Eric Stoltz, he was so good, and uh, we got we had a lot of chemistry for a little while there, but uh, they just they wanted somebody a little bit more funnier, and didn't take the role so seriously. It's like I can't imagine. Uh, I mean, you can I guess you can have a darker approach to Back to the Future, <laughs> you know, like Eric Stoltz just deciding, man, this is creepy. I'm my mother wants to fuck me. You know, like having the dramatic version of Back to the Future. Well, what you're talking about right now is is going to be the dark and gritty reboot of Back yeah. to the Future that will happen in a couple years. Christopher Nolan. Christopher Nolan, <laughs> executive produced, written by David Goyer. Yeah. Back to the Future. It's going to be. It's going to have that legendary films logo at the beginning, and it's going to have some crazy uh, Hans Zimmer score. Um, that's all atonal and maddening. Um, and then it's going to. <laughs> this is heavy. Bah! <laughs> oh boy. It's going to you know, be a trilogy 
a three part thing, and he's going to find out that he was like the chosen time time lord. Like he's going, oh, I was the chosen one. That's why. And there's going to be a hero's journey, um, and uh, there's going to be a mythos. Uh, and just Jesse Eisenberg will play Biff. Oh my god, that'd be great. Yeah. That'd be great. Jesse Eisenberg should be in more uh, movies that I want to see. That's that's my <laughs> that's my opinion about Jesse Eisenberg. Hey, you're good. How about you be in movies that I'd watch? Cuz uh I can't I I can't waste my time on B minus magician thrillers. Or thirty minutes or less. Oh Jesus! Don't even that movie, mention it. That movie was fucking terrible, but I had to watch it because um, it it is filmed everywhere around my town. Like I, as I was watching, I'm like, oh my god, look, there's my house. <laughs> it was crazy. Like, and uh, even Aziz and Ansari is like, there ain't no Indian people in Grand Rapids. <laughs> like, it was you know, like there's not a lot of movies filmed in Grand Rapids, but. Yeah. This one was just like, hello, everybody. This is the city of Grand Rapids. Everywhere you go. They didn't, like, film it anywhere else. And uh, it's just interesting, like, the pizzeria actually exists. And that's, like, their big claim to fame on the website. <laughs> like, hey, we were the pizzeria in 30 minutes or less. We are awesome. That's that's how they advertise themselves. Is that's kind of funny. Isn't, but isn't this... But wasn't 30 minutes or less based on a real story? Uh... By the way, uh, Jesse Eisenberg is going to be in the new Kelly Reichard movie. Or he is oh, yeah. in the new Kelly Reichard movie. but Which is on my list of movies I can't wait to see in 2014. There you go. I don't... I'm also uh, excited to see uh, a new Noah Baumbach and Greta Gerwig uh, collaboration. Too soon. Too soon. Nah. I can't... I gotta I'm take... okay with it. I'm okay with it. Nah. Not, I gotta, they gotta take a, They got to take a year off. They got to recuperate. They got to make sure they're not treading the same ground. We don't want another. We can we we can ill afford uh, another Clendathu, aka Margot at the wedding. Oh, well, it's got Ben Stiller, Naomi Watts, Adam Driver, Charles Grodin. What the fuck? Where's, <laughs> where's... Charles Grodin's alive? Wow, he's not doing uh, political coverage on CNN or anything. He had his own talk show for a while, didn't he? Uh, that was your time, not mine. Uh, no, this is our time. Um, you know what else? I'm kind of looking forward to the new Jeff Nichols movie, which is also crazy to think. Like, oh my god, everybody wants to be Woody Allen all of a sudden. Jeff. Guys like Jeff Nichols and uh, Noah Baumbach putting out a movie a year. But what's kind of cool about this is Michael Shannon returns in a lead, and apparently this is a very more of a genre movie, like a science fiction thing, like as an '80s science fiction homage, apparently, where uh, a father and son attempt to evade the government when they learn uh, that this kid has supernatural powers. So it's interesting. Yeah, interesting to see Jeff Nichols try to do that. I still have not seen his. No, no, I saw Shotgun Stories. Uh, I but I didn't see mud and I didn't see uh, take shelter still. Yeah, both amazing. You know, I I listened to our year end episode from 2012. I still haven't seen Beasts of the Southern Wild. You're stupid. Yeah, I am stupid. Thank you. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, there's plenty of things I need to see that you probably love. Like what? 
You've seen way more than me. You have a head. Uh, you have a, you have, an, you, have a, you have a four year advantage, five year advantage. How old are you? Uh, I'm ten years older than you. You're thirty six. Thirty five. Okay. So yeah, you got an advantage on me. You That's got a true. Head start. That's true. Um. So what do you and and also uh, Todd Haynes has a new movie coming out. It's called Carol. Oh, thank God. Oh, yeah. thank God Todd Haynes has a new movie coming out. I was worried. Me too. It's set in the 50s. It's very sounds very far from heaven-esque. It's uh, Rooney Mara f- falls for uh, an older married woman played by Kate Blanchett. And I just feel, well, Kate Blanchett and Todd Haynes, I'm in. That's, that's all I need. Yeah. You know, I mean, the plot doesn't sound like anything to write home about because god there was where's that was that horrible julianne moore amanda seyfried movie where chloe oh you don't like chloe Chloe? no you don't you don't like seeing liam neeson come in amanda seyfried's mouth that happened that is the craziest thing about that movie is i don't remember that at all you don't it's not you don't literally see a (laughs) <laughs> but oh. but there is a, a scene where it's the it's the shot where it's like the back of the head or whatever and with the camera panning up um and you see Liam Neeson make an O face <laughs> like yeah. he, like there's a part like he's doing the uh, uh and then there's a part where he goes like bah! like the <laughs> crazy O face and it's that movie that's a bad movie it's a very bad movie it is. Uh, I'm sure Todd Haynes will do a much better job with that. It is delightful, though. <laughs> it is. It is a. If you're gonna watch, look. If you are 12 and you're gonna catch a movie on HBO, it might as well be Chloe. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's true. It I delivers. Mean, that's, that's, that's the kind of shit I probably was watching when I was 13. Exactly. You're probably you're probably watching something that wasn't as as classy. <laughs> as classy. <laughs> Classy. It's a very classy. Movie. It's a look. It's a love story. Mm-hmm. You know, and sometimes love turns deadly. It's true. Mm-hmm. Uh, a most wanted man with Philip Seymour Hoffman. It's supposed to be a lot like Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, but hopefully not as slow. But then again, it's directed by the guy who did The American. Which I think is a like I don't love that movie, but I think it's gorgeous. I think it's amazingly well shot. Um, I'm just wondering in terms of you know is this guy going to have only uh, is he only going to make these really kind of languid you know dialogue practically dialogue free movies, and that can work either way. Like maybe I should rewatch The American because I'm more of a fan of minimalism now. And I don't mind it when, you know, it's mostly about uh, the uh, the visual prowess that the filmmaker brings. Uh, and, I mean, I just remember thinking, like, God, it's clear that this guy, you know, uh, was a former photographer. And he's just got a really artistic vision behind his uh, not very exciting screenplay. What's That's the kind plot? Of the... What's the plot of the movie? Uh, a Muslim illegally emigrates to Hamburg where he gets caught up in an international war on terror. So, I mean, I think it's based off of a John Le Carre. Who wrote Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy? Uh, that's, 
that is John Le something. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it's based on the same kind of subject matter. Is it say it based on one of his novels? Yeah, I'm pretty sure it is. Maybe. If John, not, it's in the same vein. John Le Carre? That, yeah. It's been compared to John Le Carre, but I'm not sure if it's based on John Le Carre. Because John Le Carre wrote about, like, during this, like, the British intelligence during, like, the 50s and 60s. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, there we go. Uh, he, wrote a mov- he wrote a book in 2008, uh, A Most Wanted Man. Ah, so it is an ad- okay. It is a John Le Carre adaptation. Yeah. It said it was came out at the Sundance Film Festival. I don't know if I heard anything about it though. I'm so just, I'm just, I'm just, just really like interested. I'm really interested in what this happen. director, yeah, is doing. He's ri- he's directed a lot of music videos, like going back all the way to the to '84 with like U2 and Echo and the Bunnymen. I really like his music videos. Um, what music videos has he directed? A lot of Depeche Mode. Uh, Joy Division. Joy Division had Wait. music videos. Yeah, apparently I, I, I don't so. Think, I don't think Joy Division had music videos. It says nineteen eighty eight Joy Division atmosphere. Hmm. Where does it say that? I'm on his. On Wikipedia. Oh. Weird. Personal G. He, yeah. Wait, Joy Division was around in nineteen eighty eight. I thought. Yeah, I'm confused. I thought Joy Division had become New Order by then. Yeah, did he like make it, a posthumous? My, maybe, Joy Division maybe music that's video? what. Maybe that's what it. Maybe it's yeah. an error too. Did he do the uh, video for uh, the chauffeur by Depeche Mode? Mm. He didn't. So no. he didn't even do the best Depeche Mode video. I don't think I've seen that video. The chauffeur. You haven't seen the chauffeur? No. It's got it's got Night Porter references to it. <laughs> okay. And it's got it's got nudity. Oh, he did like he did Liar by Henry Rollins. That's very memorable. I don't remember that. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, some Coldplay. Oh, he did a video about for the new Arcade Fire album. That's nice. I don't know. I just I, I just have a good feeling about this guy. Yeah. Yeah. You liked the American a lot, didn't you? I liked it quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah. I might uh, rewatch it before I see his new movie, just to see how I feel about it now. I mean, it's just a. I don't think it really has any much more going on for it other than a, just being a pleasurable experience. Because mm. just George Clooney sort of being intense and um, a film again being that somber and quiet and taking place in that beautiful place you know yeah it's one of those it's not necessarily uh a brilliant film you don't think there's anything existential and deep going on in that movie no oh well it 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 sort of reaches for that with the whole like he wants to escape with that italian woman Mm -hmm. uh the the italian prostitute with the butterfly tattoo and then when he you know at the very end when the butterfly sort of lands on him it's a whole other it's i don't that stuff is not nearly as good as just sort of when he first arrives in that city in that town yeah and he sort of just and you don't know what's going on um but he's very intense and he is and he's very direct in all of his movements and everything like that kind of stuff is great i love all that stuff 
Maybe I'll uh, watch that movie in the morning with a cup of coffee as opposed to like late at night when I'm really tired. It almost feels like the antithesis of a Jean Lacar novel, at least as I know mm-hmm. Jean Lacar. And I only I've only seen the two big film adaptations. Yeah. I've only seen Spy Who Came In from the Cold and Tinker Taylor Soldier Spy, but like those are very plotty and very uh full of twists and turns mm-hmm. and um where whereas the American almost has no plot. Yeah, I th- or at least the best parts of the American. So I think the number one movie, other than your obvious ones like you know the new Paul Thomas Anderson movie or the new Christopher Nolan movie, the number one movie I'm really interested in is called The Voices. Have you heard about this yet? I have not heard anything about this. I, I can't keep up with. I I hear about new movies the the couple weeks before they come out when all the critics in my Twitter feed start talking about them. Well, the uh, one of the podcasts I listened to covered Sundance and uh the two their two top picks from the festival that they're like, "Oh, this these will definitely be on our list at the end of the year." Were Whiplash, which you've talked about. And that well, the short film Whiplash is incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Uh the the feature length shown and won all the awards. Um, and the second one is this movie called The Voices, which is directed by, I believe it's an Iranian woman who was responsible for uh, adapting Persepolis. Marjanie Satrapi. Yeah. Uh, and it stars Ryan Reynolds, who is mentally ill and has been avoiding taking his, uh, Antipsychotic medication, and he starts hallucinating that his cat is telling him to be a serial killer. Oh, so it's Summer of Sam. Yeah, <laughs> only with a with a talking cat. Uh, oh, wait a second, and it's, Mar- but it's supposed to be really dark and hilarious, and just unlike anything that's ever come out before dealing with mental illness. Mar- uh, Marjanie Satrapi is not only the director of Persepolis; she wrote the graphic novel. Oh. Really? She's the hmm. she's the cartoonist as well. So this is her first live, or yeah, first live act. No, because cause she hold on, I just had her. Uh, bu- 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 bu. Uh, she directed Chicken with Plums and the Gang of uh, Jotas. Hmm. Chicken with um, Plums is that a short film? Oh no, it's not. No, that's a feature. Hmm. Um, and so is uh, the other one, though I don't know if the other one ever got. Release. I heard of Chicken with Plums. I didn't know much about it. Interesting. Um, so that's interesting that she's moved to director. I don't know many comic book artists who have successfully moved to director. Yeah. Daniel, was it Daniel Klaus tried? <laughs> with uh, Oh, with Art School Confidential? Yeah. yeah. That did not turn out so well. Mm. Oh man, the screenwriter co-wrote Paranormal Activity too. I don't know if that means anything. It doesn't. It means. <laughs> um, but yeah, this from what I heard, it just it's really fucked up. And like they said, once you see this, you can't unsee it. It's one of those movies, and I'm like, oh great, that's a that's a ringing endorsement. I love it when people say that. Like, uh, there's there's an image. You know, not to give anything away, but there's, and I think I even texted you at right after I saw it. But there's an image in the third episode of True Detective that when you see it, it's like, oh god, now I'm never gonna unsee that, and now that's gonna invade my dreams because it's so really? disturbing. Like it ends on this horrible, like it, not horrible thing, but this really questionable what the fuck moment 
where it's like, I cannot wait to find out what is going on here with this thing that I just saw. Are you, are you talking about Wilford Brimley with his shirt oh, off? I'm always talking about that. You've seen, have, you've seen Cocoon, though, haven't you? I've never seen Cocoon. Oh, my God. I didn't grow up in the 80s. Like, Jim, <laughs> okay, here's what here's, you have to understand. There are movies that were big deals in the 80s when they came out. Yeah. And then promptly no one no one watched them ever again. Cocoon was one of them. Cocoon was not a certified classic. Goonies, people from my generation watched. You know, uh, uh, RoboCop, people, for, people from every generation watch. Cocoon is uh, – is, uh, I, I, I cannot think of a possible reason why I should see Cocoon. It's a Ron Howard movie, Strike One. It's a dumb premise, Strike Two. <laughs> um, and I, I hate, I hate old people, Strike Three. Aww. No, tell you me hate... the plot of Cocoon. Tell it, me the plot of Cocoon. It's, it's old, old people, people in a nursing home jump in a pool. They jump in a pool, and suddenly it's the fountain of youth because there's these rocks left by aliens in the pool that give them uh, like eternal life, basically. Brilliant. And of course, all the old people want to start taking advantage of it and exploit it. But all the aliens are like, no, don't. We need those rocks to live and we're going to go home. It's the most enthusiastic plot synopsis ever for Cocoon, I'm sure. What was it about the 80s that made aliens... Like, why why would you make a sentimental movie with aliens in it? <laughs> what? Like, it, it, it kind of works with E.T., but like... I don't. It's like oh, here's a movie about mortality or whatever. But also, there's aliens. Yeah, well, you know, they had to intervene somehow. They had to come down and just uh, visit planet Earth. I forgot why they were visiting planet Earth. Hmm. Uh, to to uh, to take their rocks out for a bath. Pretty much. They had to. They had to wash their wash their rocks at a nursing home. <laughs> Uh, Hume Cronin was in Shadow of a Doubt. Uh, wow. Actually, there's not a lot of... I haven't seen a lot of movies with Hume Cronin. Parallax View. That's good. Brewster's uh, Millions. Yeah. The... Uh, oh, wait. <laughs> another another 80s movie that I'm sure you've seen a couple times and I've seen... And no one my age has seen at all. Uh, batteries Not Included. I've seen it once at the theater. And is this another, I don't remember. Is it too this another well. sentimental movie about aliens? Yes, it is. Only the aliens are like these cute little saucer. Jessica Tandy is in this movie too. What is going on? <laughs> Look who wrote the screenplay. Mick Garris and Brad Bird. Yeah, Brad Bird. Ugh. But but story by Mick Garris. Gah. Mick Garris didn't he do Sleepwalkers? Yeah, he did Sleepwalkers. Yeah. Nah, he didn't do anything. Fly too. Mm, never uh, mind. Critter. He did. He did Critters too. How could you say? Was Critters too good? We watched it together. Oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> Critters two is not good, but it does have a a great scene where aliens murder a man on Easter. That's right. They. They eat him while he's in a bunny suit. <laughs> oh, man. I think, yeah, there was this weird turn with Spielberg. And then, I mean, we'll talk about that, too. But, like, when we do the Spielberg episode, I think 
you know, E.T. changed things, and then Amazing Stories, like, all these really sort of sentimental science fiction stories started to emerge, like, crazy around that time, where it was like, oh, it's cool that this weird thing is happening, and it's not scary at all. It's actually kind of cute and charming. (laughs) I feel like the plot of all those 80s movies is like, hey, everybody, let's hug our kids. (laughs) Let's... <laughs> I know. I know this is the. I know this is the era of of Reag- Reaganomics, and we got to go out there and get it. You know. Uh, you know. Uh, capitalism. It's there for the taking. Blah blah blah. But like. But at the same time, let's not forget to hug our kids. Yeah. There was Starman. Starman's a sentiment. John Carpenter even made a sentimental alien movie in the eighties. Daryl, which I love. It's a senti- Daryl wasn't an alien. He was a robot, oh, that's, right? Yeah, yeah. It was a sentimental robot movie. You know. Yeah. I really liked that movie. Uh, <laughs> I that was that was a movie I, I caught on uh, UPN in on a Sunday afternoon when I was eight. He was very good at a uh, pole position. Yep. <laughs> that's all I remember about that movie. And his best friend's name was Turtle. Of course. Mm-hmm. Was there a scene where he like comically? Was like trying to watch someone undress, and he's like, oh, he was like trying to watch a girl undress, and was like, huh, what are those? Um, not that I can recall. Okay, so that's still only in my dreams that that <laughs> happens. I have dreams in which I'm a robot boy. I'm a seven year old robot boy, and I don't understand human things, but I'm very good at pole position, and I watch women undress uh, through keyholes. So if anybody's really excited and curious, I'm one of the next movies I'm going to check out from 1985 is called Gotcha with Anthony Edwards and Linda Fiorentino. Uh, is that the paint, paintball I, movie? Or? I, I don't know if it's paintball, it's tag or something. I don't know what they're doing. Uh, but I just, I remember seeing bits and piece of it, pieces of it as a kid and uh, it's it's got a weird reputation. I'm kind of curious about it. And it actually was turned into a game for it turned into a game for Nintendo. Wow! Yeah, I do remember that. Hmm. It was a bad game. Hmm. Anthony Edwards. I like Anthony God. Edwards. He's really good in Miracle Mile. What is Miracle Mile? Is that another movie with a sentimental alien? No, it's a is end of the a... world movie. It's really dark and fucked up. It, except at the end, <laughs> when they all hug their kids. Mm, I don't want to say. Okay. I think that's I, one I'm you should assume see. it has. I think I'm going to assume it has the same ending as The Mist. <laughs> mm, it's one that I think you should see. I think yeah. I think you'd like it. It's it's almost like After Hours only with the apocalypse, basically. I feel like I don't trust anyone's opinions about movies from the '80s. I feel this like is, the this 80s is '90. I think it's it's 1990. Miracle Mile is '88. Oh, okay. I feel like '80s have this weird haze over them, where people of a certain age. Uh, you just can't trust them, you know. Like Public Enemy said, it. I just know, can't I, trust I that's it. Coming. Um, yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, it's kind of. I'm kind of going back to '85 just for fun, but it is interesting to to take your perspective to heart because I, I I can understand that. Like, I think Rambo Part Two is pretty awesome. You know, oh, <laughs> like, and Rambo. Rambo Part Two is the worst because Rambo Part Two is oh one of the movies I watched recently was a my first Chuck Norris movie ever. Yes, I didn't get. I think even when I was a kid, I didn't really get into Chuck Norris. I neither did I. I, I mean, I, I I still don't understand the appeal, but the the I, I watched uh, Invasion USA, which is a Joseph Zito movie. Oh, you should you uh, like that guy? 
I I, I like uh, his Friday Thirteenth movie, mm-hmm. and I like The Prowler less, but I still like it a little bit. Um, but uh, Invasion USA, it's just one of those '80s action movies where it's just all the action scenes are just here's a guy firing a machine gun. Now here's an op. Now here's a, a reverse shot of the other guy firing a machine gun. Now here's that guy falling over. Like the action scenes for action movie, like for movies that action is the <laughs> primary point of them. Yeah, like the, the action 80s scenes action are horrible. Movie. It's the worst. Like Rambo: First Blood Part Two is the worst. Like you are right. So I'm gonna. Uh, so I'm gonna give you the 75 top grossing movies of 1985, and I want you to really quick just tell me if you've seen them or not. Okay, that's a good uh, way to wrap it up. Okay, Crush Groove. No. Return to Oz. Yes. Return of the Jedi reissue. Uh, yeah, I think I did. You saw it again in 1985, or did you yeah, see it when it... Yeah, I'm pretty sure I did. Yeah. Okay, just one of the guys. Of course. Life Force. Yes. Enemy Mine. Yes. Silver Bullet. Yes. Compromising positions. No. Perfect. No. Real genius. Yes. Vision quest. Yes. Cat's eye. Yeah. One magic Christmas. No. Follow that bird. Uh huh. Oh yeah, I loved it. Yep. Tomboy. <laughs> nope. A chorus line. No. They made a they they did a chorus line in eighty five. Weird. All right. Mm. Return of the Living Dead. Yes. Remo Williams, The Adventure Begins. Yes. Clue. Yes. Okay, I don't know how how this is above Clue or any of um, so many of these, but <laughs> Baby, Secret <laughs> of the Lost Legend. <laughs> yes. Of course you did, motherfucker. Of course you did. King Solomon's Mines, the N- no. Alan Quartermain uh film. Death Wish 3. Nope. Kiss of the Spider Woman. Yeah. Uh, Falcon and the Snowman. Oh, yeah. Is that a fantasy film with Matthew Broderick? <laughs> no. <laughs> what is the Falcon and the Snowman? Uh, I want to say it's Sean Penn and Timothy Hutton. Uh, Russian spy movie based oh. on true story. What is the fantasy movie with Matthew Broderick? Lady Hawk. Yeah. I'm thinking of Lady Hawk. Mm-hmm. Okay. To Live and Die in L.A. Of course. Invasion USA. No. The Sure Thing. Yes. Wow, Invasion USA made more than To Live and Die in L.A. That is... Sad. It, it certainly costs less. <laughs> I'll say that much. Uh, so you haven't seen The Sure Thing? Um, no, I don't think so. Lady, Okay, Lady Hawk. No. Year of the Dragon. No. Uh, young Sherlock Holmes. Yeah. Volunteers. Yeah. Code of Silence. Yeah, it's okay. That's a Chuck that's, Norris. Yeah, that's a Chuck Norris movie. But it's Andrew Davis, so it's oh, actually pretty go. good. Porky's Revenge Part Three. No. The Black Cauldron. No. Uh, <clears throat> wow. I for sure thought you saw the Black Cauldron. Um, Friday Thirteenth Part Five. Yeah. Care Bears movie. No. Santa Claus the movie. Yeah. Weird Science. Yeah. The Emerald Forest. I think I did. What's the Emerald Forest? A uh, weird movie with natives in a forest. Remember there were boobs? Remember, okay. I, my parents were watching it, and I was like half asleep when I saw it. Certainly. Summer Rental. Yeah. Fright Night. Mm-hmm. Agnes of God. 
I've wanted to. I haven't, no. The Last Dragon. No. Prizzy's Honor. No. Desperately Seeking Susan. Yes. Uh, the Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2, Freddy's Revenge. Of course. Murphy's Romance. Nope. What is that? Burt Reynolds movie, I okay. think. Silverado you just talked about. Yeah. Uh, 101 Dalmatians reissued. Did you see that when I hit theaters in 1985? Probably. Teen Wolf. Yes. Commando. Mm-hmm. Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. Mm-hmm. St. Elmo's Fire. Yeah. Jagged Edge. Yeah. What's Jagged Edge? Jeff Bridges' Joe Esterhouse movie. Oh, boy. It's bad. E.T. reissue? Yep. Brewster's Millions? Yep. Wow, they used to reissue movies, not... Like, they did not wait that long before reissuing them. (laughs) E.T. was, what, 83? 82. 82, so it was like three years later. Can you imagine? What would be the equivalent? Like... God. Can you imagine if in three years they reissued, like, Gravity? That'd be amazing. They probably will. I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, these are all kids' movies they're reissuing. And yeah, my, my Jedi. Mom, one of my earliest memories of being in the movies. Seeing E.T. and follow that bird back to back. Certainly. Brewster's Millions? Mm-hmm. Pee-wee's Big Adventure? Oh, yeah. Pale Rider? Uh, no. White Knights? Yeah, my What's mom white? took me to that. It's a dancing movie. Ballad. I don't know if it... Tap Dancing with Gregory Hines. Oh, perfect. Uh, Breakfast Club? Yeah. Mask? Yeah. European Vacation? <laughs> yeah. A View to a Kill? No. Are you... Have you I'm not you, a big Bond guy. I'm yeah, me not. neither. Me neither. I haven't seen that many, but all the ones I've seen, I have not liked that often yeah. that much. Now, Fletch... I just recently saw it for the first time, which is crazy. Really? Yeah. Oh man, I so I saw it before. I love Fletch. Yeah, I like it. I like it a lot. Police Academy Two. Oh yeah, I saw all of them. Sp- Spies like. Did you see Mission to Moscow? No, I think I stopped after Miami Beach. Yeah, me too. Uh, <laughs> Spy. No, that's true. Police bringing it back to eighties boobs. Police Academy was the first rated uh, R movie I ever saw. Oh wow. Um, Cobra was mine. And so that movie was mislabeled as PG uh, at the Southwest video that I rented it from. (laughs) Um, And because all the other ones were PG-13 and actually PG, I would watch all those Police Academy movies. Police Academy – oh, no. I saw uh, City Under Siege. That's Police Academy 6, I think. Yeah. That's perfect for a little kid. Citizens on Patrol. Uh, uh, Citizens on Patrol was my jam. That was part, that's part three, right? Part four. Okay. Spies Like Us. Of course. The Goonies. Mm-hmm. Witness. Yes. The Jewel of the Nile. Ugh. Yeah. Was that, was that, that the was follow-up to... Romancing the Stone, yeah. Not very good. Okay. Cocoon. Mm-hmm. Out of Africa. Um, no. Color Purple? Yeah. Rocky Four? Oh, yeah. Rambo First Blood Part Two? God, yeah. And, of course, Back to the Future. Never heard of it. Oh, it's good. It all comes full circle. Good job. Yeah. Congratulations. Um, so you've seen a lot of, you've seen most of the big ones. Yeah. 
I'm that's I'm kind of looking for like weird obscure ones like Trouble in Mind. Have you seen American? Have you seen American Ninja? No. Go ahead, and put that on the list. I I like American Ninja quite a bit. American um, Ninja. Yeah, it's it. Yeah, it's an adaptation of a Guess Who song. Nice. Um, it's it's basically it's a dumb movie, uh, and it's stupid and horrible. But then at the end, there's this crazy mass ninja fight, and out of nowhere, a like the camera cuts to a ninja jumping on screen, firing like a weird laser from his arm, and then jumping off screen again. And that ninja <laughs> is never referenced again. The appearance of laser ninja in American Ninja is all you need to justify that movie's existence. I'm all for it. I love laser ninjas. If I could live my life as it worthlessly as you. I'm convinced that I'll wind up burning secret I wouldn't tell anybody. It's hard to know who to trust. It is the mystery of an awesome secret. It is the miracle of everlasting life. We'll never be sick. We won't get any older and we won't ever die. Beyond the innocence of youth and the wisdom of age lies the wonder of Cocoon. Century Fox presents the new film from the producers of Jaws and the director of Splash, Cocoon.